Today my uh, presentation is um, going to be quite methodologically or theoretically um, focused. So I'm not going to go into um, empirical data. What I'm going to do is sort of introduce the concept of a possible cell um, and uh, explain really uh, how I am thinking about it, my thinking process, and particularly the thinking that um, I'm doing that takes a concept that um, comes from actually cognitive psychology as a discipline, what happens to it when you uh, think about it in terms of the sociology of education. Um, so that's really, uh, I want to sort of take you through those processes and sort of end by thinking um, about the kind of rewards of um, uh, the, the kind of thinking processes that need to take place to do that um, and also the challenges that are involved. So uh, I'm going to start just by talking about, um, this is basically kind of where my thinking on the importance of the future um, to how we talk about education and particularly higher education comes from. I'm going to introduce, uh, for those who aren't familiar with it, the idea of the possible self and the kind of literature that, that comes from. Um, so particularly I'm going to um, do a very general overview of some literature on possible selves um, and then really I'm going to talk about the things that I have needed to think about um, in order to uh, make that transfer, that sort of cross-disciplinary transfer um, from psychology to sociology. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the methodologies um, that I used and how I might again think about those in the terms that I'm thinking of. Um, and then come back to this idea of kind of the positives and the negatives of taking something that um, has its origins in one place um, and moving it to a different place. So um, I've got a sort of collection of ways in which um, I think ideas of the future are very much embedded in how we think about higher education. Um, so the first is actually just, um, I haven't put a reference there because it could come from any number of people who know me, <laughs> uh, who said that when I said I'm going to do an undergraduate degree in English and then said that when I said I'm going to do a PhD. Um, I, think it's a, I think that question about what education is for, what kind of future it takes us to, is um, integral to the way we think about higher education. I think all education, but, but I'm thinking more particularly about higher education. Um, I went to an SRHE network event on employability um, a couple of weeks ago, um, which was very much thinking about how universities are starting to mobilise a language of employability, how they're required to think about employability, and that very much um, takes the idea of the future and puts it into undergraduate um, education. So this is from the University of Birmingham website. Birmingham announced as University of the Year for Graduate Employment. This is from my works on FE colleges. Um, so this is from an FE college website. Our courses are designed to maximise your development, teach you the things you'll need to progress. So things like development and progression um, are signalling a kind of preparation for our future. And I thought these were particularly interesting because they're actually using they're actually used to advertise to prospective students. So advertising to future students what they will have in the future after the future that you're offering them. Um, so there's a kind of double future um, that's really very strongly um, embedded in the way that um, students are told to think about higher education, the way that universities are told to present higher education to students. Um, so that's partly kind of where my thinking on the future started to uh, develop. 
some there is some research. I'm going to talk about possible sales research specifically um, in a minute, but um, some research that I think has things that could be um, seen as possible sales there within it um, is uh, taking place. So, for example, this article by um, Durgan um, looked at Australian high school students and the way that they make decisions about their higher education. And I felt, as I was reading it, um, was very much using the possible self concept without necessarily uh, naming it as such. So, uh, to do this, I explore the relationship between the present and these young women's imagined futures. Um, and I'm going to talk in a second about what I think the possible self adds to the idea of a more abstract imagined future um, and why it's important to me uh, to think about the self in relation to that future. Um, and this is the title of an article by Sue Clegg where she um, argues that the uh, dominant discourse of higher education, she's focusing here quite a lot on academics actually, um, you could easily talk about students in the same way, the way that um, applying for research grants planning teaching um, requires a constant um, discourse of what will happen in the future um, that impacts um, very clearly on how the present is lived. So all of this thinking about the role of the future in higher education um, took me to the possible selves uh, concept. Um, it was originally described in an article by Marcus and Nereus in 1986. Um, this type of self-knowledge pertains to how individuals think about their potential and about their future. Possible selves are the ideal selves that we would very much like to become. They're also the selves we could become, the selves we are afraid of coming. So there, there's a few things that I really liked about this concept. Um, the first is this idea of kind of multiplicity. Um, so I really like the idea that um, you don't have one version of yourself in the future, that there are multiple different versions of yourself that operate at any one time, that some are driven by what you hope, others are driven by actually what you fear, um, some are driven by probability, um, some are driven by uh, examples from other people. Um, and the other thing is that um, the possible sales concept really highlights not the role of the future on its own, but the way that your imagined future impacts on your present behaviour and the kind of combined temporality that I think a lot of those quotations pointed to, that it's not just we're getting students to imagine a future, but that we want that future, that imagination of the future to change current behaviour. So when it says how individuals think about their potential, we're talking about the present there, but we're talking about a present that is influenced by the future. And this one I thought was interesting because Marcus and Urius weren't actually particularly writing about higher education at the time, but they did choose an example from higher education. The assistant professor who fears he or she will not become an associate professor carries with him or her uh, much more than a shadow undifferentiated fear of not getting tenure. Instead, the fear is personalised. So that goes back to what I was just saying about why... Um, why I like thinking about the possible self um, in addition to thinking about an imagined future in a more abstract way. I think the personalised element of it is really important. I think the idea that um, students have um, an imagined version of themselves, not just an imagined happening in the future, but that it happens to them. Um, and interestingly, I was um, visiting a further education college last week, 
a couple of weeks ago, um, and I went into their higher education building because they, they have a separate building for their higher education. And you know those, um, you know those things at the seaside that have like a face cut out and a hand cut out, and you put your face and hands through, and they have like a cartoon figure. You take a photo. Um, they had a, a graduate gown, cap and gown, um, with hands and a face that you hand cut out. Um, so it was almost that they were, as you, and they had them as you walked in. So it was almost like as you walked in, um, they were asking you to put yourself in that position. And I thought it was interesting because I think implied with that was that walking into that building might be people who find it hard to imagine that. Um, and that they feel that it's very important to almost force those people to imagine themselves like that. Um, so that's where the kind of personalised element of this, I think, is really important, the almost embodied imagining of yourself. Um, so briefly, um, these are some um, areas that I've seen literature on possible selves. So I'm just going to explain a little bit about how it's used in these um, areas. Um, that article on healthcare by Dark Freudeman and West was really interesting because it was about... Um, uh, how patients with chronic or long-term illnesses, if they can imagine themselves as being well in the future, um, if they have a possible self that has different illness or pain-related behaviour, it was looking at whether it was that made some kind of impact. Um, the psychotherapy one was looking in a similar way at whether people's sort of self-regulated behaviours changed if they had a clear version of themselves in the future that could be brought out during the psychotherapeutic process. Um, there's a couple of articles on more higher education related things, so initial teacher education and nursing education, um, which uh, looked at whether people beginning and training for a particular career um, have a strongly imagined version of themselves or multiple versions of themselves in that career and whether that um, is something that uh, produces some kind of positive effect. Um, and um, Jacqueline Stevenson, who's going to talk later, is someone who's looked at this um, in higher education. Um, one of the things that this, that possible sales literature really looks at is that thing that I keep coming back to, that idea of um, does imagination of the future influence um, present behaviour. So a lot of it's actually looking at um, motivation and whether people's motivations become stronger um, if they have a strongly um, imagined personal, uh, sorry, possible self that they feel is a realistic aim. And if there's a connection between their behaviour and the adaptations they can make um, and the possible self they imagine. Um, having given that overview, I'm going to look very briefly at how um, I think uh, the possible self is used in um, the original discipline it came from um, to sort of show you um, or highlight the things that I have sort of thought um, need to be transferred in some way into a kind of sociological way of thinking. Um, so these are two separate um, articles um, this one from 1995, um, after generating possible selves, students were asked to check off the possible selves on which they were currently actively working, to write down what they were doing to become like selves they were trying to approach, to avoid becoming like selves they were trying to avoid. 
So in quite a lot of the psychological um, literature, um, the possible self is used in almost a, um, a survey designed way. Um, students are, this was on uh, students, students are um, asked very clearly about the, possible, the specific academic possible self they imagine um, and um, they're then asked to make themselves make connections between that and their behaviour. Um, for me, I wanted to use that idea but think um, a bit more about um, maybe the influence of possible selves that aren't as easily known by those students, that aren't as easily clearly bounded and understood, um, either by the student or necessarily the researcher, and I wanted to think what happens then, if it's not something you can write down um, quite that easily. Um, I wanted to put this quote up there, possible self, particular possible self may fail to sustain self-regulatory action because it conflicts with other parts of the self-concept. So I really wanted to highlight here um, that this language is very much, very much comes from a psychological discipline. The idea of self-regulatory action and self-concept, those things come from um, a psychological discipline. And these were the things that I really wanted to think through. Um, so, I read this um, article by Ericsson that I thought uh, really highlighted the two areas that I feel I need to think about um, when I'm using possible cells but in a socio sociological way and Ericsson argues the notion of self becomes too broad when it is not defined more clearly and that the, the self idea was the thing that I was having most trouble with because very often in sociology we talk about subjectivity rather than selfhood um, and I wanted to think about what the differences were um, and uh, I felt that I there was a danger in just using possible selves within a sociological framework that I was doing exactly what Ericsson was saying and not defining what I meant by self clearly enough. Um, and happily for me, given that I come from a kind of narrative uh, background, um, Ericsson argues that the narrative nature of possible selves is something that, ca that could be explored further. So those were the two areas that I felt that I needed to put more time into theorising um, and then see what happened uh, in my thinking and whether possible selves remained a clear concept once those two things were uh, theorised. So for me there were two elements of it. So the possible for me um, implies a narrative. Um, it implies a kind of uh, sequential, temporal understanding um, of identity that becomes almost the story of yourself, um, the story of yourself as you are now and as you could possibly be. Um, so I started thinking about narrative theory and understandings of temporality um, and as I'll explain in a minute I look particularly at recur for um, those things. Uh, in terms of selves, I wanted to. I knew that I needed to think about subjectivity um, and what I was meaning by self um, and subjectivity. So I was thinking about narrative, performative theorizations of subjectivity, temporal constructions of subjectivity, and I started to think about using Butler for those things. So what I want to do is sort of talk through um, how briefly how I'm understanding. Uh, temporality um, and narrative using recur, how I'm understanding Butler, sorry, <laughs> subjectivity using Butler, 
Um, and my main focus here is sort of shifting away from possible cells as a link between um, your uh, motivation to behave in a certain way and that being connected to the future you imagine. And for me, um, I actually want to think about more about just how students and the students I'm studying tell the story of themselves um, and how that involves an imagining of themselves in the future. Not necessarily whether it predicts their behaviour in the future, but just how they tell that story and what influences that story. Um, so, Recur um, is uh, really quite hard to read, um, <laughs> but uh, this uh, aspect of it, it was really interesting to me when I um, read it. So, his understanding of narrative temporality is that there are two contradictory ways that time works when we tell a story. Um, and one is that we tell a story with one event coming after the other and moving towards a conclusion. However, he also says that we look back on the story as we're telling it to check that those events logically lead to one another. So the reason that I like this um, idea is that it shows the kind of narrative work that is done when you tell the story of yourself, either to yourself or to someone else. And certainly in a research context, if you ask someone to tell the story of how they got to this institution or the story of what they're planning to do next, the kind of narrative work that is done to make sure, for them to make sure that these events make sense to them, that one leads up to another, and then that they work backwards as well. Um, he calls it the paradox of contingency um, that characterises how we comprehend stories. And if you um, think of narrative identity as a way of understanding yourself um, or as the way people understand themselves, um, then in lots of ways um, that uh, the work that we do to make that understanding is some of what I want to look at, how we... Um, make sure that the events of our lives are, are told in a way that makes them logical and um, understandable. Um, Ricoeur actually writes a lot about stories that are told about things that have already happened. So one of the things that interests me about this is um, how do you, what happens with this if you're telling a story about something that's going to happen to you in the future and how do you ensure that your future is causally linked to your present um, in the story you're telling about yourself. So um, that was the first kind of um, way that I'm thinking about narrative. Um, the way that I'm thinking about uh, subjectivity is using excitable speech um, by Butler. And this is where I really wanted to bring in the sociological uh, ideas that um, I'm working with. So um, my research is looking at students doing higher education in further education colleges. Um, by definition, those students are um, from what we often call a widening participation background. So they're very affected by um, inequalities of class, <coughs> often race, sometimes gender, um, quite a lot of um, kind of intersecting inequalities. Um, and I wanted to find a way of thinking about possible cells that takes that into account. Um, so Butler argues 
The question is not what it is I will be able to say, but what will constitute the domain of the sayable within which I begin to speak at all. To become a subject means to be subjected to a set of implicit and explicit norms that govern the kind of speech that will be legible as the speech of the subject. So the reason I think this is important to possible selves is that I think um, the kind of stories that students are able to tell about themselves, the kind of futures they can imagine for themselves, may well be affected by what is recognisable to them and what would make them recognisable to others. Um, and what would make them knowable and understandable to those around them. And that is very much affected by issues of class and issues of race and issues of gender, among many other things. So I wanted to think, um, in um, taking this focus on, not onto how the possible self influences behaviour, but how the idea of the possible self changes the story that you tell of yourself, I wanted to take into account the stories that are available to tell. Um, and the stories that are um, defined or prescribed or influenced by um, the stories that you know and have seen around you. So in terms of, um, and I haven't really got very long uh, to talk about uh, methodology, um, there are some examples of uh, the way that possible cells uh, have been um, that uh, students have been asked to talk or write about possible selves. There are many, many others. So Rachel Hanford, who isn't here today, does a really interesting thing with um, uh, getting her students, uh, getting her participants to write letters to themselves in the future, which I thought was a really lovely idea, and that's part of her data collection. Um, the, the first two I really loved, um, because I felt the idea of an anticipated life history brings together that kind of temporal contradiction and the idea that you cannot divide the, cell, the past from the future and the present. Um, An anticipated reflection was someone looking at teacher education um, and I thought that was really interesting because a reflection, as I know very well having done uh, teacher training, is something you write incessantly um, after <laughs> you've taught and um, the idea that you would anticipate the thing you would write after you've taught, before you've taught it, really brings together the idea that um, you can't divide these things and the idea that they're very, they're kind of clashing against one another, that you're constantly anticipating not only what you're about to do next, but what you might then think about what you're about to do next once you've done it. Um, Oiseman used um, photographs, um, which is an interesting way of doing it. So she gave her students, uh, her participants, a whole uh, load of magazines and got them to cut out images that represented themselves in the future and then got them to tell her why they represented themselves um, in the future. Um, and Witty got uh, students to write a story of themselves in the future and gave them a kind of um, a little set of requirements about what it could or couldn't have. Um, amazingly, um, in this, uh, in her uh, article, what was really interesting was that those were then analysed in a quantitative way, um, which is some of where um, I think the psychological and sociological perspectives on these uh, intersect, because this was a very narrative approach that was then analysed um, in, in a quantitative way in terms of uh, the amount of detail, I think, the um, number of years they'd imagined in the future, that kind of thing, whereas I 
and it was almost frustrating to me because I really wanted to look at the stories and how they were told. But it was an interesting example of how uh, this concept kind of crosses disciplines. So thinking about um, the things that I will need to think about using um, aspects of some of these methodologies, um, because I will be focusing very much on um, thinking about what I've just said about Witty, I would be focusing on how those stories were told. Um, not necessarily what they told me about the student's current behaviour, but what they told me about how the student imagined themselves. So I would be looking for um, the paradox of contingency, so the idea, um, the causal connections that a participant might be making between the events of their lives, um, and how you're making sure, even as you're predicting them in the future, that there is um, a causal link between all of them. Unintelligible speech, so the idea that a lot of what you're doing when you're telling the story of yourself is making yourself intelligible, making yourself recognisable to other people and to yourself in the discourses that um, constitute the experiences that you've had. Um, so I want to finally um, just think through what I said at the beginning, which is some of the rewards and the challenges. I've definitely had um, some doubts about using the possible selves concept um, because it's so deeply rooted in the idea of the self that um, comes from somewhere other than my reading and my um, sociological um, background. So in Ericsson's article, which I quoted from earlier, Ericsson argues that um, there should be a clear definition of the self and possible selves, but it should be the self-concept definition. Um, so that view very much suggests that if you're taking the possible selves concept away from that idea of self-concept, it loses some of its definition. So that's some of what um, I've been thinking about um, and wondering about. Um, I haven't really come to a conclusion except that um, I do think the possible self-concept um, is uh, it has been really productive for me in terms of thinking, but I am aware that I'm taking uh, particularly the self away from a definition um, that underpins um, the original possible selves concept. And I wanted to come back to the article that Sue Clegg wrote really to say that some of the, I was going to say rewards, but also some of the importance comes from the kind of increasing focus on the future, I think, in higher education. Um, the increasing kind of impetus and um, need to show that education is for something, um, is for a future. Um, and so um, the possible self concept has allowed me to think about how those discourses might, um, might be used by students to construct a version of themselves that very much reflects the discourses in higher education. Um, it's also been really useful for me because I've had to be, I've had to think very specifically and very carefully about those ideas of subjectivity um, and about narrative. Um, so I, I can't really end with anything very definitive about the rewards or challenges, except to say that it's been um, a very useful concept for me um, to think through, and I think it's possible that it's increasingly relevant in terms of the way we think about higher education. Thank you.